What's up SLPs? I am so excited. Today is a fun video with all of your frequently asked questions for new graduate students, CFs, and maybe you're in your first or second year being a speech pathologist and you've got questions. I'm gonna talk more on some very school-based SLP specific questions for all of you graduate students and clinical fellows who have some interest in the school field. Let's get into it. This question asks, did I feel confident writing an IEP right after grad school? <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's okay. You're, you don't have to feel confident in every aspect of your job going forward as a new speech language pathologist. I did not feel confident writing an IEP, even though I did it for like almost six months in my internship. I did not feel confident leading an IEP. It was very nerve wracking and it still sometimes can be, it just depends. The point is you're, there are going to be things that you're not comfortable in right away. Now, somebody watching this might say, I'm, I was super comfortable with it. That was where I was, you know, that was my strength. And that's great. We're all gonna have different strengths and different areas where we can really push ourselves and grow. And that's a great place to be because now I'll be really honest with you. I really do enjoy sitting in a good IEP meeting and really you know, getting into the nitty gritty of what my clients are doing so well or my students are doing so well and you know, talking about their progress with families. But I didn't at first and that's absolutely okay. I, you know, I will argue that right after grad school, you're not supposed to feel confident doing these things. Again, if you do, and I'm not speaking to you, great. Um, I was, you know, really confident just bringing a kid in and getting on the floor and playing. That's really the only place I felt confident in. And even then it just really depended on the student because every student was different and, you know, they all had different needs and um, it was, all just a beautiful time of learning. That's really all I can say. Feeling confident in something is great. Not feeling 100% confident in something is also very great. I will always, always, always advocate for the fact that if you're not 100% confident in something, go in confidently ready to learn and to, you know, if, if it's confidently making mistakes and learning from them, great. If it's learning from your other professionals on your IEP team, great. I love sitting in my IEP meetings with, you know, my psychs, with my physical therapists, with my special education teachers, with my um, occupational therapists and other service providers because I learn so much from them about their individual specialties. I know when it's my turn to talk, there are things maybe they'll learn from me. And sometimes we get into conversations, you know, in multiple IEPs, I've sat through, you know, parents are asking maybe about sensory supports for their students. And my occupational therapist and I will go, you know, just start having a conversation about it. And you can see that we're just kind of learning from each other as we're talking about different things and how they relate to each of our specialties, because really, we're all, it's all related, right? We're all here to be service providers to enhance the quality of life of another individual. And so the answer to that, I guess is just, you know, flat out, no, I didn't feel confident in it, but I am grateful that I didn't because I learned a lot. This next question that I got was asking for tips on evaluation, specifically when evaluating a child's articulation or speech sound production, as you might call it, or phonology or whatever. And this 
new SLP said they're nervous about not hearing something during an evaluation. And so, you know, the way I kind of visualize this is, yeah, I remember feeling that way, um, where you have your protocol out, you're listening to the student as you're going through like the Goldman Fristo or the Arizona articulation or whatever. And, um, you know, maybe you don't circle all the deviations because you didn't hear all the deviations. Um, what, like, what does that mean? You know, I'm nervous about that. What if I miss something? Okay, first of all, sometimes you can record. Now, obviously not on a device that you own. It has to be a school device. I know some schools, I know like in my graduate clinic, so private practices, this might be more common where you can have a recording device that is owned by the clinic. Um, at schools, I know sometimes they have those like district-wide, you can, you can check out um, recording devices. And then some of us were issued iPads to use in our assessments and speech therapy sessions. I use my iPad and what I do is during the articulation exam, I am, I am doing a voice memo while the student is um, while the student is going through the testing. I also like to have this out because then I'll go right into my language sample portion of the assessment and it's all in one place. So I'll start off with that Artic exam. Language sample's also there, plus sometimes they talk about the pictures, so it's perfect to get some utterances in. And then once I have tested the child and I'm going through and scoring it and I've listened to that and maybe jotted all the notes down and then maybe heard some deviations that I missed for the Artic exam, I will delete it. Um, so that's definitely an option or I can keep it in a folder like on my computer with the file, the child's name that's locked and all of that. As long as it's compliant, you know, with um, your HIPAA, your FERPA and your school district is, you know, this is what they do, uh, then go for it. Obviously, do not record on your own personal devices again. I will say that again because it's very important. You know, no phone recordings, nothing, no video, none of that, just those um, those devices. So that's, that's a hack you can use for sure. Another thing that's really helpful if you are a new speech pathologist and you know like based off of observation that there might be a lot going on phonolo phonology wise and you don't wanna miss anything in, in during the testing, if you do have the benefit of having um, an on-site supervisor or another on-site speech language pathologist that can come in and maybe be an extra set of ears during the evaluation, that's great. I know my CF year, there was an evaluation. I asked my supervisor, she was at a different school site, but she came down and listened um, to the child and helped me kind of, you know, tease out some things there. Now, and I'm five years in, I still need help with this, by the way, but now I have my, an SLP on site because I'm preschool. She does TK through fifth grade. And so she and I will help each other when we feel like we might be missing things. So there's those things that you can do, as long as it's another licensed professional, you know, speech language pathologist, um, you should be good there. And it also depends on your student. You know, you have to think about the testing environment. I get that. Um, that's why that recording, if you can record, it is so, so helpful because you can go back and listen and then you're not as stressed during the evaluation. If you miss something, it's fine. You also have to remember, if you miss something, it's gonna be okay because we're still learning. You get over time, you get quicker and quicker with you know hearing all those deviations. You get to a point where you hear them out in public and you wanna pull out your protocols, right? Um, it, it does come with some time. So utilize the things that you have to help you learn and get quicker with that, but also 
Do not stress yourself out. Give yourself tons of grace when it comes to these things. If you know that maybe, you know, hearing those deviations is an area that you wanna grow more in, give yourself plenty of time, maybe to pull, pull the child in for another language sample or things where you can listen again and get uh, consonant inventory and all kinds of different things. So there are ways you can give yourself that cushion and give yourself that grace. It's totally possible. You're going to be fine, I promise. I love this next question. I love all the questions, but this one was me as a clinical fellow. So the question is, how do I not overbuy on materials and how do I get confident in using what I have? Trust, trust, trust your, your skills. Trust your creativity. When I first started out, I used to say, I'm not very creative as a speech language pathologist. And I think for me, my view of that was, I don't do a lot of crafts, still don't. Um, and I felt like I couldn't think on my toes fast enough, but I taught myself a thing or two about utilizing what I had. When I started out, I had very little limited resources. I was put in the old janitor's closet as my very first speech room where there wasn't even a sink and you're supposed to have a sink apparently in every classroom. I didn't know that at the time, but I, you know, didn't have a whole lot. I got a lot of hand-me-down resources from other SLPs, which was super helpful, but also some of them were a little dated and my kids weren't that into them. So I got really good at making up games. And this probably came from my background in comedy improv, not gonna lie, but we were making up rhyming games and singing, you know, making up songs. Um, I would, I had a whiteboard uh, that I would draw just a big game board on and I had big foam dice that my mom gave me from when she was a preschool teacher. And we would roll the dice and play the game on the board and I had like five or six boxes of the little um, Arctic cards. What are they from? What's the, what's the company? The Super Duper. How do you forget? How do you just forget Super Duper? Because really what the lesson here is, the best tool in your toolbox is you. Our kids are here for communication. They're here for connection. So you're one half of that connection and they're the other half. So take them outside, go on a scavenger hunt, go look for things that start with their speech sound or whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, figure out what you need. Whenever I take on a new, um, whenever I take a graduate student or if I mentor a clinical fellow and they're kind of starting out trying to determine the things that they're gonna want in their therapy toolbox, I always say that you are the best tool in your toolbox. If all you have in your speech room are bubbles and blocks, you have it made because you can make a game out of anything. You really do have it in you. And what I learned is you don't have to do a craft to be creative. You don't have to have Pop the Pig to be the most fun speech therapist. It's really just about you being confident that you can make anything exciting. One of the, my favorite rules of improv is and one of probably the most important rules of improv is to be enthusiastic. I would argue that as a speech pathologist, that is our number one rule. Probably that and flexibility, am I right? The second part of this question, how do I not overbuy on materials? And I think the first part answers the second part. Just take time, take time to figure out what you like using as a clinician. If you are school-based and you don't have a lot of materials, maybe you do have other SLPs that you can go to, you know, send out an email and say, does anybody have this material or does anybody have any suggestions for what I can do for this goal or whatever it is and get some ideas there and then decide what, what 
what you vibe with, what goes best in your toolkit, what can you use as the other half of that communication connection. This last question is all about legal cases. Now, I have some experience with attorneys and advocates, not too, too much, and I am very grateful for that. Also, I am grateful for the experiences I've had. They have been eye-opening and very helpful. So I'll talk a little bit about those in just a moment, but I'm going to read you something because this question also asks if there's a statute of limitations. What I wanna preface all of this with is that it's probably different legal cases, the statute of limitations, those kinds of things are going to be different depending on your state's educational code. I'm in California. I know my district has a certain way that they will handle you know, legal proceedings and different things. Um, so it's definitely on a state and then district by district basis. But of course we always will adhere to you know, the ed code, the state's um, laws and the things we are following already in our therapy and within our special education department. This question did ask, is there a statute of limitations for um, special education? So let me read to you. In California, the statute of limitations for bringing a special education dispute before the California Office of Administrative Hearings is two years. So that answers that part. When it comes to sitting in IEP meetings with maybe an attorney or an advocate, I have had this a handful of times happen and all I can say is remember who you're there for. Yes, our egos might want to take a hit because an attorney is going through every point in our report or the advocate is questioning every single thing about the goal that we wrote for our client. While maybe you don't, you know, well, maybe it's nerve wracking, which I totally get. We aren't there to serve the attorney or to serve the advocate. We are there for the family. And we don't know the whole reason why the attorney or the advocate is there. Maybe sometimes we do, but I know in preschool we're, you know, this is their, sometimes their first interaction with us in an IEP meeting. And now there's another person here stepping in for the family, talking with them and or on behalf or asking questions on their behalf. And I have to sometimes humble myself and my mindset and remember that there could have been something in the past that made them feel like we weren't doing all we could for their child. And so just having that mindset has helped me a lot. If I don't know the answer to a question that they ask me during an IEP meeting, it is never a problem for me to say, you know what, that's a really great question. I will have to get back to you by the end of today. Give a time, you know, give a time stamp for it. But acknowledge that you know yeah i don't know everything we're not we're all human none of us know everything whenever there's an iep where we know there's going to be legal pieces or legal professionals that are going to be there i always call for or my team always calls for some sort of a pre-meeting just so we all are on the same page just so we all understand who we're there for and we can feel like a team going in it is important to remember the parents are a part of our team. So, you know, they're not necessarily, um, I, I don't see it as them trying to fight us. They're trying to fight for their child. And when we can try and see that side of it, it does really help ease a lot of it lot of tension. We have to do it mindfully. We have to be genuine, but issues really can resolve. We had a meeting a couple years ago where it started out very contentious and we had to do a couple different meetings. We didn't finish it all in one day. And by the last half of, you know, all those meetings, 
the advocate didn't even show up. The parent said, you know what, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. We've really been working as a team. Um, and that was that. And so it really does help if we do come with that mentality. Thank you so much for your questions in this round of FAQs. Advice for CFs and new SLPs will be coming to you next week, so stay tuned. Other than that, please like, subscribe, and hey, leave a comment. Maybe say one thing you're grateful for. All right, I'll see you in the next one.